2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard me and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlist, enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Danielle. And good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We good? Well, I had the privilege to be at the game yesterday, and so luckily my voice is still here. Um, I was really worried. During the first quarter, I looked at Haley, and I was like, Haley, I cannot lose my voice, like, in the middle of this game, and then try to preach tomorrow morning. But luckily, I was sustained. Um, let me just say this. It's an honor to be here with you guys this morning. If we haven't got the chance to meet, my name is Topher. I get the joy and the privilege to serve as our student director here at Prov Road, and it is a joy and privilege to do that. It's a joy and privilege to stand up here and to open God's word with you. So go ahead, if you haven't already, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. I'll give you a second to turn there. Um, before we jump into our passage, though, I do want to speak to the fact that it's Family Sunday. Um, I think it's important to speak to it. It's a unique Sunday in our church that we do periodically where our kids, most of the kids, are still in the room. And I want to speak to that. I want to say two things. I want to say one thing to parents, and I want to say one thing to your kids. I want to say one thing to the kids. First, parents, I want you to hear that there is immense value and worth in having your kids in this room with you this morning. Hear me when I say there is immense value and worth in having your kids with you in the gathering this morning, especially for this time where we open and consider God's word. I know sometimes, if you're honest, it's like I, you dread these Sundays, maybe, because you're like, I feel like this is my one chance that I get a break in the week, or I get to actually listen without distractions, and so you sometimes dread these Sundays, but let me say, there is immense value in having your kids in here, because what you're doing is you're getting the chance to illustrate and disciple them in the gathering this morning, that as you sing, as you open your Bible and listen, as you partake in the different elements of our worship gathering, you are illustrating and discipling your kids to see what's the most important thing in your life in your family's life, and what you want them to see as the most important thing in their life. I think about even my own story. I was thinking about this week, and I remember at the age of eight, it was through a Sunday morning gathering, it was through a Sunday morning sermon where the Holy Spirit started to awaken my heart to my sin and awaken my heart to the reality of the gospel. And it was through just me sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning as an eight-year-old. There is immense value in having your kids in here this morning. And so you are doing the most important thing you could possibly do for your kids this morning by having them here with you in the gathering. Now I want to talk to the kids. Kids, I want you to know three things. Three things as we get started this morning. One, we love having you in this room. We love having you in this room with us. Second thing I want you to know is that you are surrounded by people 
who deeply love you, that you are surrounded by people who deeply love you, who deeply care about you, and who deeply desire for you to know that and deeply desire for you to love God. You're surrounded, and I'm not talking just about your parents. I'm talking about the people behind you, in front of you, beside you, every person in this room. You are surrounded by people who deeply care about you and deeply love you and deeply love having you in this room with us. And here's the last thing I want you to know, is that this book, I understand that when we get to this part of the service, you're probably like, man, this is when it starts to get boring. Like the guy gets up there and he starts talking and he talks for a long time and this is the really boring part. But I want you to know that this book that we're about to open and we're about to read is a treasure chest. It's a treasure chest that is the most valuable thing we could consider this morning. If you thought about the most valuable treasure you could possibly think of in your life, we believe this is more and immensely more valuable than any of it. And so kids, we believe that this book is important and we believe that it requires and is, needs our full attention. And so that's why we do what we do. And that's why we love having you in here with us. And so welcome to this room. We love having you here. Well, let's turn to 2 Timothy 2. So Jeremy, we're in this weird like in-between week, right? So we finished our anxiety series last week. We're picking up our new series as we walk through First Peter next week. And so we're in this weird in-between week, and Jeremy came to me. He's like, hey, Topher, would you like to preach on this Sunday? I'm like, yeah, man, I would love to. He's like, okay, great. Well, we're in this weird in-between week, so you can just pick whatever you want to preach. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, that's really scary. Um, Like, that is producing a lot of anxiety in me, Jeremy, and we just talked about anxiety for, like, six weeks. Like, I'm like, what in the world? Like, what am I possibly going to preach about? And I just felt the Lord leading me to 2 Timothy 2 this week, because I think what this passage does is it actually helps us prepare for 1 Peter. It actually helps us prepare for what we're going to learn and be studying as we walk through the verse, or through the book of 1 Peter, because we come to a passage that is very important for us this morning. We come to a passage that can be very practical and very applicable and very resonating for us this morning, Paul is writing to his young disciple, Timothy, literally at the end of his life. Paul is literally awaiting his execution as he writes this letter to Timothy. He's, bas- he's at his death, he's at death's door. And Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him to run the race of his life with endurance. To run the race of his life with endurance. Paul, in all the things he could possibly write to Timothy, and he writes to Timothy about a bunch of things in his two letters to to Timothy, Paul is intentional to write about endurance here in 2 Timothy 2. He wants Timothy to understand and be encouraged to endure well in this life. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is worthy of it because the gospel of Jesus Christ is worthy of Timothy's endurance and is worthy of our endurance. Because the reality we face, and this is the theme that we're gonna see Peter pick up in First Peter, is that we live as exiles. We live as foreigners in a land that is ultimately not our home, that this is not our forever home. We await the coming of Jesus. We await the coming of his kingdom. And so we live as exiles 
And the reality that we face is that life as exiles is hard. Life as exiles is very hard sometimes. And maybe you come in this room this morning and maybe you're in the boat, you feel like a marathon runner. You're like, Topher, I could run for miles. I've got the endurance, I've got the stamina that I could run a marathon right now. I feel good. Or maybe you come in this room this morning and you're like, Topher, I, I, didn't have the, I barely had the stamina to get out of bed this morning. For whatever reason, maybe it's something this week, maybe it's something you're going through in your life, you're like, I feel like I don't have the endurance to even make it to church this morning or through this day. Whatever boat you find yourself in, we come to this passage and we see that the reality is because of the hope we have in the gospel, there is immense hope in endurance. That there is immense encouragement for us to endure and to endure well. And what we're going to see in this passage is that because of the hope we have in the gospel, you and I can endure. The question that we're going to try to answer this morning in this passage is not, can't, like, is it even possible to endure? Like, is it even possible for me to endure in this life as an exile, as a foreigner? But what we're going to see is that we can, and the hope that we see in this morning answers this question, okay, if we can endure, how do we do it well? That's the question I want us to have on our minds this morning, is as we think about our lives, as we think of the Christian race, the life that we live, how do we endure in it well? How do we run the race of our life to completion and to its fullness well? Paul is going to help us answer that this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for us, um, and then we're going to jump in and walk through these verses together. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you just for the opportunity to gather together as your people, to come in here and to consider your word. And Father, I pray as we open up your word and we consider this idea of endurance and what it looks like to live our lives as foreigners in a strange land that's often hard and often we feel like we don't have the, the stamina to do it. God, how can we do it well? Answer that for us. Help us to see that there is immense hope in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ to help us endure well. God, I pray as we consider this text that you would just open our eyes to see you. God, push me out of the way. We don't care what I have to say. Holy Spirit, move through me, speak through me. Help us understand what you want us to hear this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so 2 Timothy 2, we're gonna start in verse one. So here we go, Paul writing to Timothy, he says this, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's stop right here. Paul is gonna start at the most important place when it comes to our enduring in the Christian life. He's gonna say, he's gonna tell Timothy, Timothy, if you want to possibly endure well, it's gonna start at the foundation of where you're finding your strength. It's gonna start at the source in which you're finding your strength. If Timothy was going to endure well, Paul is challenging him to see that he was only going to endure well by resting and living in the reality of the gospel of Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's point is that our source of strength does not come from anywhere else except through the power of Jesus Christ. That our strength to endure, our strength to live the next day of our lives does not come from within. It does not come from our outside circumstances. 
Our strength comes from Jesus in our union with him and our continual resting in him for that strength. I want to point to, I was reading in one commentary and this commentary, he points to how important the Greek is for this verse to understand what Paul is talking about. And I'm not a Greek scholar, so don't hear me like, be like, wow, it's over. Like, Tover's a Greek scholar. No, like I barely made it through Greek in seminary when I took it, but this was helpful. And this is helpful for us to understand this verse. So this verb strengthened that Paul uses in this verse, Paul uses three times. He uses it three times in the course of his two letters to Timothy. And what's important for us to see is that he's using it here in a unique way that's different than the other two times. So the other, the other two times that he uses this verb, he's speaking to a one-time strengthening. He's talking about specific events within his life where he has been strengthened by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a certain task. It's a one-time strengthening. It's a specific time of strengthening. But when he writes to Timothy here, he's using it in a different way. And he's using it in the present passive form. You know, like, what the heck does that mean? So here's what that means. The passive form communicates two things to us in this verse. The first is this, is that this strengthening is coming from an outside source instead of from within. The passive form in the Greek is, this, is the form that illustrates an outside source instead of an inner source. Paul's point is to see that this strengthening that he's encouraging Timothy to be strengthened by is not coming from outside, or it's not coming from within, but it's coming from an outside source, and that outside source is God, that God is the agent of this empowerment. The second thing this verb communicates is it communicates this idea of continuous action. While the other two times he talks about specific and one-time strengthening, Paul is speaking this time to a continual strengthening, a continual strengthening that is happening through a daily empowerment by resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's Paul's point. Paul's point to Timothy is like, if you're going to endure well, it's going to require you to be strengthened by the gospel every single day. It's not a one-time strengthening that happens like when we become Christians and our conversion, it's like, okay, now you have the strength to live your entire life. No, Paul is saying you're going to need this strength every single day, and it's only going to happen when you are resting in the gospel of Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, not only is this strength not coming from him or anywhere else, but it's coming from God, but that it also requires continuous resting. It requires continuous resting. And as I think about that, let that be an encouragement to our souls this morning. Because think about this. Nobody is expecting you or me to come into this room or to live our lives finding our own strength. Nobody, not even God, is requiring you or asking you to try to find your strength within yourself, within something in this world, within some whatever it is that we try to find our strength and our rest in. No, we see in the Savior and in the reality of the gospel that Jesus' words are actually, when you're weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. That our strength, the source of our strength, is found in Jesus himself. So church, the question that I want you to face this morning is, what are you looking to for your strength? 
as you come into this place, as you look back at this past week, what have you looked to for your strength? What have you looked to for your rest? We often turn to other things to find our strength. And the reality is it might give us a little juice for a season. So I think about like, you know, how like you just need enough gas to get home. So you just stop by the gas station, you get like $5 or something just so that you can get home. Reality is those things might give us that juice, that fuel to make it in a season, but they're ultimately endurance killers in the long run. That they're not going to be able to sustain us for this race that we are called to live. I've used this illustration before a couple times with our students and kids, you'll understand this. So when our phones die, we know exactly what to do with it. When your phone dies, you're like, I know exactly what to do with it. Kids, when mom and dad's phone dies, you've learned what to do with it. You gotta go plug it into its source of power, right? Then when our phones die, we go and we have to plug it into a specific source. So it's not just any cord. It's not any source of power. It's a specific source. And it's only through that specific source does that device find its life and ability to do what it's supposed to do. And I think that picture illustrates perfectly what Paul is illustrating here, that your source in your life is only found in one avenue. And so we are to plug in to that source. We're to plug in to that source that is Jesus. There is only one source that will help us endure well, and that is Jesus. If we're going to endure well, it starts at the source of our strength. I think a good litmus test that I think is important for us as we consider and we think about those times where you feel like you don't have the endurance to run, you don't have the stamina to run, a good question to ask yourself is, what does your daily communion with Jesus look like? when we've been trying to run and we feel tired and we feel like we can't do it, what does your time with Jesus look like? Because we see that our strength is driven by our union with him. It starts at our conversion, but then it is only supercharged by our daily communion with him. We must be plugging into the source daily. And Paul understood that if we're going to even talk about these, we're gonna see these metaphors and these other things about enduring, We have to start here. We have to start at the source of our strength. Let's continue on. Paul continues in verse two and he he shows this unique thing about enduring, which I think is so interesting. Look at verse two. So he says, my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others Also, stop right there. Paul turns and tells Timothy now that enduring well is not just a personal pursuit. Like, it's just me and Jesus. Like, if I'm gonna endure well, it's just, well, it's just part, it's just me and Jesus, my personal pursuit. No, it doesn't stop there. Paul actually turns and tells Timothy that this is also a together pursuit. That enduring well also requires and is also a call to pass on the gospel to others. Notice this chain in the life of Paul. Paul received this message of the gospel from Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. We remember that story. Paul then entrusts that message to others like Timothy. And now this call to Timothy is to entrust it to others, to faithful 
followers of Jesus. The context here, yet while it does say the, just the word men, it's not this context of just meaning pastorally or in the preaching ministry. It's actually this call for every believer that that word men can be men and women. This is an intentional and personal call to every believer to be passing on this message of how to endure well to others. In other words, we endure well by helping others endure. You and I endure well by helping others endure too. Paul's not talking just about the preaching ministry or small group ministry. No, Paul's talking to a much more intentional discipleship pursuit in the life of his believers or in the life of Jesus' believers. That there is, this is a call to something much more intentional and pursuit. Paul is clear in his letters that every Christian is a minister of the gospel. That this isn't a call just reserved for certain people in vocational ministry or that have a specific call in their life. No, Paul is clear that every Christian is a minister of the gospel and that this is a call to enduring together through the intentional discipleship of others. Have you ever considered that maybe the trenches of our endurance in the Christian life isn't just by us coming in here on a Sunday morning and hearing a sermon and singing some songs and then going home? The trenches of our endurance in the Christian life isn't even just sitting in your GC every week and just sitting in that circle and being present in that conversation. What if the, the trenches of our endurance in the Christian life are actually the conversations that happen in the coffee shops? The endurance of our Christian life are the conversations that happen over meals in our homes as we intentionally pursue others by, through entrusting them and through personal discipleship. What if that is the trenches of what it looks like to endure in the Christian life? That we're not just called to do this by ourselves, but we're called to do it together and to entrust it to others who then can entrust it to others. It's a chain. And so churches, I think this is a really practical challenge. Who are those faithful few in your life that you could pursue to entrust with this message of the gospel? Like Paul is calling Timothy to. Who is those people in your life that you could entrust and pursue through intentional discipleship? Or maybe you're in this room and you're like, I need that. Like I need help in enduring well in my life. And so maybe for you, the, the answer is, I need to reach out and find people who can entrust and help me endure well in our lives. If we're going to endure well, it's not only a call to endure well in our personal lives, it's a call to endure well together by helping each other endure well. Let's keep going. So now Paul's gonna turn, and in the rest of our passage, this is pretty familiar. We've probably all heard these verses before, these three pictures, these three metaphors that Paul's going to use to further show what does it look like to endure well in the Christian life? What does it further look like? And he uses the picture of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Verse three, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So this first picture is this picture of the soldier. And this is probably a picture Paul probably knew pretty well. We think about how many times Paul was imprisoned during his ministry. He was probably around soldiers and Roman soldiers a lot. And so he learned very quickly the pursuits of what these Roman soldiers were taught and conditioned to how they were to live 
their lives. And so Paul says, this is a picture of how we are to endure and to live and to run this race to the Christian life. It's the call to be like a good soldier who does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. Why? Because his aim is not those civilian pursuits, but is actually to please the one who enlisted him. So what does Paul mean by this? Like this might, like what, what is this picture supposed to want, what is this picture he wants us to see? Here's what he's speaking to. He's speaking to this idea of single-mindedness in the Christian life. He's speaking to this idea of single-mindedness that had to exist in the role of a soldier. A good soldier in those times and still doesn't get caught up with the things that have the potential to distract him from his mission. The good soldier doesn't get caught up with these with civilian pursuits that can distract him from the goal and mission that has been laid in front of him by the one who enlisted him. Paul's application is clear. Enduring well in our lives requires a single-minded focus on the mission, on the goal that is in front of us. It requires single-minded devotion to Jesus in the everyday of our lives. I was thinking um, about horses, and this will make sense in a second. So I was thinking about horses, and if you've ever watched a horse race, um, you know that they put these blinders on those horses, right? And they put these blinders on those horses with the pursuit and for the reason of so that they don't, they don't get distracted. That as they are running their race, these blinders are to keep their focus on the goal, which is the finish line. That they are to keep their focus on what's in front of them and not get distracted by the crowd or the things around them. I think about that, and I think about that in this picture of the soldier because that's the exact call that Jesus calls us to as Christians, that we would be like horses with these blinders who are devoted and have our attention so set on the goal and the mission in front of us that we're not getting distracted by the civilian pursuits, that we're not getting entangled by the pursuits of this world. I love this because I love that picture of an exile. It's how do we live as exiles in the world but not getting entangled by it? That's the question and that's the picture that Paul is trying to, to paint, that we are to live in it but not to be entangled by it. Of course, Paul's not talking about like we should go and like, okay, so that means we should just like create the proverb bubble like here in, in the church and so we're just gonna all live in the building we're not gonna interact with the world and like we're just gonna shut off from everything and that's gonna keep us single-minded. That's not what Paul is talking about here. But, what this, but this, what this picture requires is a mindset check for us in our lives. How easy is it for you to get distracted by things that in the, at the end of things doesn't really matter? How easy is it for you to get entangled in things that simply do not matter? Are there good things in your life that keep you from doing the main things? Are there good things in your life that keep you from doing the main things? Are there things that are entangling you, causing you to neglect the mission of making the most of Christ and building his kingdom? Are there pursuits that are entangling you? We endure by remembering that we have one aim, and we have one dedication, and that's to please the one who enlisted us, to please God. 
and to live for his glory and his glory alone. This next picture is the one of the athlete. So not only does enduring mean that we have single-mindedness, but now Paul speaks to this idea of discipline in our lives. Verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, what what does Paul mean by this? This is another metaphor that's probably really practical and really familiar to that time because he's, he's writing in a context where the athletes were the Olympic runners. The Greek Olympics were the athletic event of that time. And so he's speaking to the importance and necessity of discipline in the Christian life. An athlete is only crowned when he competes according to the rules. An athlete is only crowned when he competes by the rules. What does Paul mean by this? He's speaking to the rigorous discipline that it requires to compete in the attended way it was, the event was supposed to be competed in. That for a runner to be crowned, they had to compete in a certain way and discipline themselves to do so. It's this picture that we have been given rules to compete with. And our rules that we've been given to compete with is the pursuit of godliness and Christ-likeness in our lives. And so this call that Paul gives us is that if we're going to endure well, we're gonna discipline ourselves to pursue these things. We're gonna discipline ourselves to pursue Christ-likeness and godliness. Like I said, the context Paul's writing to is the context of the Olympics, the ancient Olympics. And so I did some research on the ancient Olympics and I found this really cool picture. So listen to this. So there was an event in the ancient Olympics that was really unique. So it was this event where it was a race and the runners would run and they would run this race with lit torches. They would run this race and every runner had a lit torch. Think about it, that's pretty terrifying to me. Like you're just like running with this like torch on fire and you're like running beside people with also these lit torches on fire. That's probably why they don't do that anymore. Um, But these runners, they would run with these lit torches. And what's unique about this event, listen to this, is that the winner of the race wasn't the one who crossed the finish line first. Think about that. The winner of this race in this event wasn't who crossed the finish line first. It wasn't necessarily the one who crossed the finish line first. The goal of this race and the winner that was going to be crowned was actually going to be the one who finished the race with their flames still lit. That the entire goal of this race was to keep their torch lit. It wasn't to finish it as fast as they could. It wasn't even to be the first one to finish It required the discipline to run this race and keep their flame lit the entire time as they run. And it was the runner who did that that was then crowned the winner. And as I read that and as I thought about that, I'm like, is there a more perfect picture of what it looks like for us to run the Christian race? Is there a more perfect picture that the Christian race requires the discipline that we're running with a flame that's been lit by the gospel of Christ and this flame is to burn the entire way and that we are running this race with the goal of getting to the finish line with that flame still lit, that we're not trying to do it the fastest, we're not trying to even get there first, but that by the end of our race, by the end of our lives, the goal is to have that flame still lit. Lit. What a picture of what it looks like to run 
the Christian race. And imagine the discipline and the training it took those runners to learn how to do that, to learn how to run without their, their flame going out. That is the call that Paul is calling us to, that we run with discipline. Each one of us is running a race, and our goal is to run it, to cross the finish line with our flames still lit, with the power of the gospel that lit it to begin with. How sad it is for us to get, for us to, get to the finish line and we realize that the, the flame of our life has been extinguished because that person didn't endure well. That runner didn't win the race. That is the call that we have. How do we do that? We run with discipline. And then this last picture. It's this picture of a farmer. Listen to verse six. He says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love how Paul ends this passage with this picture of the hardworking farmer. Because unlike the other two metaphors, so think about the soldier, think about the athlete, we get to this third metaphor and it's not really exciting. It's not the most flashy thing in the world. It's not the most glorious thing in the world. It's not like the soldier or the athlete. No, Paul says the Christian life is much like a hardworking farmer. We're not wearing the jerseys of our favorite farmers, right? Like, we're not, like, some of you are in this room, you're checking your phones, you're like, we're not hoping for our favorite farmer to get us 20 points in fantasy football today. Like, that's not, that's not what we're doing, right? Like, when we think of farming, when we think of farmers, it's not very exciting. It's not the most glamorous thing in the world. Yet I love that Paul ends with this picture because I think this is the most beautiful way to explain the Christian life that like the farmer who works and toils and plants and plows, that's the same as the Christian life. Just like the farmer who, whose work is endless. Think about farming. Farmers don't clock in and out of their job. Their farming is endless. Their goal is endless. We don't clock in and out of the Christian life. This picture of the farmer is beautiful because the Christian life isn't always flashy. It's not always glamorous. It's not always these highs. Sometimes it's hard. Like sometimes it involves hardship and suffering. It involves work. The farmer is devoted to this work. And Paul says, that's what the Christian life is like. And that's what it looks like to endure. To be the hardworking, like the hardworking farmer who works who continues, who plows, and is faithful as he does it. And what's beautiful is Paul adds that there's reward for the hardworking farmer, right? He says the hardworking farmer deserves the first of his crops, deserves the first share of his crops. There is reward for the farmer who works hard. And I think the same is true for the Christian life because there comes great joy and blessing as we learn and as we walk with Jesus and see how he is molding us into his image, when, even when it's hard, even when it's toil, even when it requires um, work and hardship, there's joy in it. There's joy in watching God grow others in holiness and godliness as we walk with them and join along with them in running their race and helping them to endure well. I think often going back to that Verse two, the oftentimes why we neglect that is because it involves us to actually live life with other people. 
and actually to endure and have personal relationships with other broken humans. But what Paul's pointing is that those who reap or those who sow will reap great reward, that there is joy with helping others grow and and having them help us grow, that there is great joy in helping grow the kingdom of God as we pursue those who don't know the gospel. It's hard. Like, you're like, we... We don't want to have those conversations with people. Those are hard conversations to have. But the good farmer who sows reaps great reward. Paul answers this question, how do we endure well? We endure and it starts at our source. We plug into the source of our strength. And that being Jesus. Church, your strength doesn't have to come from anywhere else. Your strength can't come from yourself. It only comes from Jesus. And we entrust and we endure by entrusting that to others and helping others endure well. And we endure like the farmer and like the athlete and like the soldier. So here's how I want to close this morning. I want to close by skipping down a couple verses and looking at verse eight. Or I mean, I guess that's the next verse. But here's how I want to close. When our strength feels depleted, when your tank feels empty, when you feel like I can't run anymore, I don't have the endurance, I don't have the stamina. Verse eight, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. When you feel empty, remember that the tomb is empty. Remember that the crown or the throne is um, occupied that we do not endure for a dead prophet or a distant deity. No, we endure for the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns and is alive today. That is who we endure for. And we endure because he endured first. That he went to the cross and died and lived his life perfectly and died the death that you and I deserve enduring to the end perfectly for you and I. And so we can endure because he endures and I love verse 11. This is what I want to close with. I love verse 11. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. In other words, you can believe this. You can hold on to this. This is truth for you and I this morning. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. I love, I love when verses like this because Paul doesn't say we might. Paul doesn't say, well, well I guess we'll have to see. No, he says, if we die with him, if we die to self, if we share in his death, we're going to live with him. We're going to live and share in his life. And I love the beginning of verse 12. If we endure, church, if we endure, what's the promise? We will also reign. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Yes, life is hard. The Christian race is not easy. But but church, if we endure, there's a coming a day where we're going to reign in the kingdom. Not because we are, not because we endured perfectly, not because we were just really awesome in our lives, but because Christ has already accomplished all of it for us and he's coming back and he's bringing it into completion. And so we endure because one day we will also reign with him. Let us endure well. 
as exiles, as foreigners who live in a foreign land, which is not ultimately our home. Let us be a people who endure and endure well.